0: Seabag podcast with Micah, Brian, and Vietnam veteran, Mr. Eric Blodgett. Sir, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Been better by the minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: uh, it's been an interesting day. And today for the listeners, we've got uh, my neighbor and friend uh, here on the show. And we're going to talk to him about his transitions from Vietnam to uh, to the civilian life, which is kind of our, our forte on the show, uh, helping people understand what needs to be done. And of course, what doesn't need to be done.
1: Uh, (laughs) definitely what doesn't need to be done.
0: (laughs) So sir, let's get, uh, let's get started with a little bit of uh, your background and where you grew up, where you're from and kind of what led you to the military service.
1: Born in Germany, uh, Copern, Uh, you can look it up on the map. Uh, Pretty much obliterated during the war, not much left. Um, Survived via the American Red Cross. Uh, So even even, uh, as in the military, I always made sure I gave a little money to the American Red Cross uh, because they did keep me alive. Mm -hmm. Um, They fed us, they vaccinated us and they uh, they kept us kids going. Uh, I was born in a convent, um, didn't help, I'm still still screwed up, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, with the help of nuns, uh, Catholic nuns, um, because uh, they're the only ones that would take in unwed mothers. Um, I believe my mother was about 14, 15, I'm not sure. Um, but she did uh, was was wrenched from her home by the uh, German officers and used as a domestic uh, to cook, clean and whatever else they felt like they wanted to do to young women of Polish and Czechoslovakian and uh, other uh, what they call non-German uh, people because they sub- considered them subhuman. Um, very sad. Um, so she was messed up, I'm sure. And uh, somehow, some way, she got pregnant. Um, the war ended in 45, but uh, desperation led a lot of people to do, because there was nothing, led a lot of people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And I'm sure she probably, you know, uh, had sex with somebody for some food or something. Survival. Survival technique. And, and so I was I was there. Yeah. Uh, uh, the poor nutrition, uh, I know for a fact, led to a lot of my growth problems, uh, because my two sons, who had the greatest uh, nutrition, uh, can now pick me up with one hand and say, you know, so, yeah, come here, Pop. Uh, yeah, uh, and I kept thinking, man, I shouldn't have fed you guys so well, but anyway, but um, but uh, I was a pretty hungry kid my whole life and when I was adopted, um, I was still a hungry kid because uh, they used me to uh, make money mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, generally kept me uh, uh, locked out of the house. Uh, they built a special uh, room next to the house uh, with a toilet and a and a deep sink and uh, and a room with bare walls and that was where I Quote grew up, and um, and slept, um, and I still was was trying to maintain a normal life. Uh, Where was this at? This was in Hawaii.
2: This was in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. The parents that adopted me were in Hawaii. The Red Cross sent us uh, to Hawaii. Um, somehow we ended up in Hawaii. Uh, I don't know how or why. Um, I guess they figured people were looking for uh, adoptees, um, and. Um, the family that I was adopted into, she couldn't get pregnant. And so a year after I was showed up on the scene, miraculously, she got pregnant. I understand this happens to a lot of women. Um, And like I, like I keep saying, there's a, there's a reason, uh, some people shouldn't have kids. The, the hatred I had to overcome uh, with him was, uh, and I told him this years later, um, he had a revolver he kept next to his bed and the first two shots were blanks and the rest were live bullets. And I told him when I left home, I said, I could have killed you. And I knew that the first two were blank. So think about that. Wow. And, and I didn't hear from him for many years. Um, and he left, he, he didn't communicate. It wasn't until, um, and so I was pretty much always on my own. I had to survive on my own. I had, I broke into homes to eat, to get steal food and try not not to make it look like I was in there. I was just a very hungry, hungry kid. Um, and uh like i said he had plenty of money to buy liquor and entertain and and impress people but he didn't want to feed me because i cost and and his parting words to me when i left home was i'm going to miss that 650 dollars a year tax deduction wow oh, isn't that
0: incredible yeah, yeah isn't that
1: wonderful welcome yeah. home yeah so um uh oh and, and he screwed my girlfriend i forgot oh, wow. to mention that yeah um he took her home uh, i didn't have a car at the time and really sweet gal, um, and he, we had communicated for years, especially the four the months, rather, the four months I was in picking pineapples in Hawaii. I'd gone back to see her a couple times, and um, one day when he took her home, he says, "I'll take her home," and uh, I, I, I was on a plane out of there. Um, go, had to go back on because I was on active duty, and she never ever wrote back. And I found out later on that he had. He wow! He had actually tried to have sex with her, or had sex with I don't know which, and she was scared, scared to death. Bless her heart. But so, so he's a real asshole. Yeah, yeah, and what that's you? putting Miley. But I've always lived on my own. I've always had to fight on my own. I've always had to do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. No one supported me, and uh, um, I was I had the the weirdest. You know, when I think about it. There was a reason, I'm sure, that's tough. This toughened me up about life, but it also, uh, I think, uh, if you wait long enough, uh, things come back to bite people in the, you know, where. And as a result, that jackass got uh, cancer of the mouth. Um, he uh, was severely had a lot of radiation. Um, he was, he was. He was very, uh, my mother, bless her heart, she had to do exactly what he said. She didn't have a choice. He was a very big, powerful man. He was a 6'1", 250-some pounds, and he was so big and so scary-looking, he played the giant in Jack and the Beanstalk. And when he showed up at the school, at uh, my elementary school, uh, the kids were screaming and pissing in their pants. That's how big and scary wow. he was. Yeah, so the, he, he overpowered me. There's nothing I could do. Um, I managed to get away um, in, in high school, go pick pineapples um, and, and live on that, waiting to join the service. Mm-hmm. I was what, going to join the Marine Corps, I was, uh, and, and then, and then uh, the Navy, because my, gra- my uh, grandfather, his father, he was a really nice guy. Um, he, I met him in Tripler Army Hospital in Hawaii. He, he was a really great guy. He, he was an old sailor if you can imagine, that was uh, alive during the sailing days, ship, and instead of running, oh, yeah. instead of going sliding down the mast and then running across the deck and going up to the other mast, he would go hand over hand from one mast to the other because it was easier. He had huge arms, really nice guy. Oh, wow. But um, he, he he succumbed to tuberculosis at, at Tripler Army Hospital there. He was a really nice guy, bought me, bought me my, my first bicycle um, which, uh, you know, really nice guy. Anyway, right. um, and his wife, uh, who was, uh, his second wife, first one passed away. She was really a great woman. Um, she pretty much, whatever I was over her house, she always fed me. She took care of me. Um, and I really drew, grew to love her. Um, and I introduced my wife to her later on down the years. Wow. So with this kind of an up, upbringing,
2: Eric, what, when you went to boot camp?
1: Was sure. that a, was that
2: an easy transition for you? You know, going from this from no. this kind of stuff. Uh, or?
1: Well, the easiest transition was food. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God, food, <laughs> food. You mean I can go back for seconds? You better eat everything on your plate. No problems. To, <laughs> no problem. I want
2: to
0: give you, you food. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I was always I was always grabbing food. Uh, we were stealing food we were we were you know food 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 was was number one and i think the most i ever weighed was 145 but anyway uh so so uh as a matter of fact i stayed two weeks extra in basic training uh to join the honor guard company <clears throat> so because <coughs> they got the best food <laughs> <laughs>
0: the truth comes out if
1: you can believe yeah. it was it was easy duty you carried the flag for for a couple hours a day and then you got the the best food you wanted and if you wanted to go to the snack bar you could go to the <laughs> snack bar and nobody else could because they weren't in the honor guard right and, and I found you were
0: officially graduated from boot camp at that point
1: pretty much but what, what they made fun of me my original yep. company said oh you're, you're 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 stupid for staying two extra weeks in basic training." Well, it turned out that because there weren't enough bodies going through basic training, they ended up staying four weeks longer in basic training in, in mess duty because no. there weren't enough people
0: <laughs> to go through. And I way. goodbye to them. Yeah. Sorry, no. As they're scooping your seconds on the... Yeah, no,
1: no, I, I made sure you stay away from them. But so, yeah. No.
0: So your original passion for going into the military is typically just to, to get, get away, away. Get
1: away and... and, and and I was very fortunate in that at that time you could get in the service. You gotta remember I didn't even graduate tenth grade. Okay. Okay. I I am and I was three years behind when I when I was in the U.S. Right. Okay. So I had to try and catch up, and.
0: Uh, That's tough as a as it, a younger guy. It is very
1: tough. Yeah. And and the language barrier was tough, but. Uh, the one saving grace I can I know it was I was a voracious reader. Something about it, I I don't know why. Probably I was glad to get lost in the books and get out of the misery that I was in. Okay. Yeah. And and I I read, I read so many different books. And I I was like in that world and enjoy. You know, I for the time that I was reading, I I felt happy and full and you know. Right. So uh, and I've always been a voracious reader. Always. And uh, um, so both of history because I didn't have a history. I didn't know what my history was. I never, you know, um, my son, Brandon, bless his heart. He really didn't care about any. He just he's one of those happy-go-lucky people. We're living in the here and now. Let's enjoy it. Have a good time now. OK, yeah. do what we got to do. But let's live in the here now. He's not interested in history. For some reason, I was. He he's his advantages. He knows his history. He knows his mother. He knows his father. He knows his He knows I don't I didn't and so it always it always puzzled me Um, I did run across my mother at age 45 and um, How did that happen the American Red Cross? um, She had sent feelers out to the American Red Cross the American Red Cross contacted me and said would you like to meet your birth mother? And I thought well, what have I got to lose so I went to uh, Boise, Idaho. I flew to Boise, oh, wow. Ida- uh, Idaho. Here's what's here's what's freaky. I hadn't seen her since God knows how long. Probably three, four. And I, I recognized her right away. No airport. kidding. I knew exactly who she was. I, I picked her out right away. Uh, that was freaky. And uh, but it, things were never as they appeared. Evidently, the Germans had messed her up so much. She had four more children, and the same mistake was repeated over and over again. Out of all five children that she had, um, I found this out digging. I, I, I'm nosy, and I dig. Okay, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, not always is amazed. You, we were on a cruise, and she said, "You, what, what are you doing?" Well, I went and I looked around at the whole boat because I wanted to find the exits. I want to find where life, where the best food was. I, you know, I do a recon. I I just that's just the yeah. way I am. I never. Yeah. I always do a good recon. So, I went snooping, and uh, um, it, it, my, my one brother was on the run from the mob because he owed the money, um, drug money. One uh, stepsister w- was uh, at at sixteen. I, I I called her up when I I got her. I I don't know how I got a phone number, but I called her up. As soon as she graduated from high school at 16, she left home and she ended up being a prostitute in Hotel Street. Um, another stepsister um, had a horrible eating habit because she was so miserable and was very large. And it wasn't her fault. I, I, I know why, I could see it. And the other stepbrother, uh, uh, he was a basket case. This was a guy who um, he said, "If if my mother dies, I'm going to kill myself." I'm like, "Why have you lost your you know?" He 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 was not all there, and um, uh, so I guess I'm kind of the only one that's somewhat normal. I don't know if this is normal, um, but um, when when I joined and um, uh, and I the, the really cool part was, you know, they, they said God always comes, if you just wait long enough, people get theirs. Yeah. My Cub Scout, as when I was a Cub Scout, and and we had a Boy Scout leader, his name was Alan Kajikawa. Alan Kajikawa was Japanese. Okay, go figure, Holly boy, German, Japanese kid, duh, daddy fought in World War Two. you figure it out. So what he would do, he would take the Holly boys or white boys. He would keep punching you in the stomach until they started crying. This was a boy scout leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he didn't like white boys. Okay.
0: seems like things haven't changed a whole lot. No, so. it
1: gets better. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Paul Harvey says and then the rest of the story. Yeah. All right. So I'm on a gator freighter going to Vietnam. We got a load of helicopters and other crap. You know, we're ripping cocoons off these helicopters, whatever general crap we have to do. Because I was just a a nothing. I was a non-designated whatever. I just general labor or whatever. And uh, I'm in the chow line. And you know, when you're on the Gator Freighters, chow lines last forever. I mean, you're standing in line for an hour. And I hear this, Eric, Eric. It couldn't couldn't be me. Nobody knows me out of these thousands of dudes here. So Eric, he finally turn around, and it's Ellen Kajikawa. Alan Kajikawa stopped growing at about 5'1". I'm 5'9".
3: <laughs> okay.
1: He apologized. But it gets better. Alan Kajikawa's job was to be a Navy Corpsman. And what was he a Navy Corpsman for? Fleet Marine Forces Pacific. Okay. If you know anything about Vietnam, you know that FMF Pac corpsmen were that was the worst job in the entire world. First of all, you were the target. Yep. They. Second of all, you, you had to do your job. But what was his job? His job was to look out for white boys. Yeah. Wow. His job was to keep the white boys alive, all the Marines in his unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And my parting shot to him. And I said, no, no problem, man, I forgive you, you know. I, I, I knew where he was going, I, I didn't want to, but I did do this. I messed with his head really bad because I, I kept thinking, you know, how, what can I, there's got to be something. And then I told him, I said, you know, Alan, um, I grew up in Hawaii. I know the difference between a Korean and a Filipino and a Chinese and a Japanese, but these white boys, they don't. They, to you, this is to them, they, you look just <laughs> like a Vietnamese. You look like a VC, you really do. Because they don't know the difference. I do, but oh. they don't. So I would suggest you never ever take your uniform off because they might shoot you thinking you're a VC. Wow. Now you tell me, he had a problem sleeping at night for a few nights. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. And I left it at that, and yeah. I'm like, <laughs> 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 that's. You yeah, know, God yeah. always gives we you a chance to a to, come back a <laughs> <laughs> to get back it. You know,
0: so yeah, yeah that's well, so. From your so from when we skipped ahead just a little bit, but yeah. uh,
2: no, I'm, w- I'm really curious. You that, yeah, when you when you got out of boot camp, and you said that you were, you said you were. I was non- just a non-designated, designated, non-designated. Yeah, so. W- what was the first rate that you had? What was your what was your job?
1: I I actually was just a plain old seaman. Seaman. Plain right. plain plain old seaman. Okay. And because uh, I, I didn't want I didn't want a job. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't have an education. I didn't know how to. I barely knew how to read. hmm I mean, it, I mean, I I could read. I sure couldn't write.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, <laughs> I I taught. I self taught. Yeah. I self taught everything to myself.
0: So take us through. Maybe the process so, you went through to find yourself in your in your first real job in the Navy, yeah. so, and then where you went.
1: From so that. we were when we landed in in Vietnam, we had to unload all this crap, the the you know all this freight, and and I'll never forget. This was so this was so classic, and I know you guys can relate to this. The three of us, we were exhausted, man. We it's hotter than hell. We're we're trying to get all this pallets loaded up and get all this crap off the off of the, uh, what was the Princeton, off the Princeton and get it ashore and get all, we were just general laborers and we were exhausted, the heat was killing us. So we're sitting there on the edge and all of a sudden this butter bar comes up and he kicks one of the guys in the ass. You know, he stands behind him <clears throat> and you know, we just ignored him, we were exhausted. We were tired, it was hot and sweaty, we were thirsty. And he goes over and kicks the guy in the ass. Don't you know what you're supposed to pop attention when an officer's presence all of a <laughs> and all this other bit? they thought, <laughs> so we all sit up and we all saluted, right? <laughs> okay, okay. That's the guy. That's yeah. the guy. That's yeah. The guy. That's the guy. One for for the <laughs>
0: for the listeners that don't know that you know, a lieutenant's uh, lifespan in in Vietnam was not was long. Not yeah. long. So Especially you start
1: with those nice shiny bar bars, <laughs> shiny. <laughs> so just, I'm like get some spray paint. Get anything. Right,
0: right. You started saluting officers, and, and yeah, they yeah. start dropping dead like flies. Like flies.
1: <laughs> so, so
0: you went from a non-rate in in Vietnam. You shipped to Vietnam as a non-rate. Yeah, as
1: a non-rate. I just I was just a general body there, right. and and um, I uh, I pretty much uh, I went to another gator freighter, and because um, uh, they needed a body there. Mm-hmm. And I was just do, doing general seamanship crap, bosom-made crap, whatever, whatever they had. You know, our main goal, our main, our main job was to just keep dragging crap over and unloading it, taking cocoons off, and everything came in cocoons. You know, I don't know if you remember, but everything came wrapped up, ready for the. Sea voyages, and we just kept unwrapping stuff and whatever. No, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm I was sorry. Saying, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you. If, if yeah, told history.
0: You yes, history. reading the history. Yeah. But, uh... So,
1: so when I got out of the service, uh, I was only an E4, and I really didn't care, and I just wanted to get the hell out, and so I hopped on a. Uh, I was really fortunate. I I hopped on a. Uh, first, I hopped on a Huey. And then I ha- and then from hue I went to a ship called the Cabildo I waited on the uh, the Cabildo m- went upriver and uh, the Cabildo ha- was one of those ships where the back end sinks in the water mm-hmm. and I got a duck I caught a ride on a duck which was one of those wheeled amphibs yep uh-huh. and we took off and we went up to uh and and I finally got a ride thumb to Nhut air base and I was trying to get out of Vietnam I had I just wanted to get the hell out of there. The place stunk. I, it was miserable. And uh, um, so uh, I waited for like four days, five days, trying to get out of Tonsunut Air Base. Uh, there was no, there was, the food was uh, two pieces of white bread, uh, some greasy bologna and some ghetto cheese. And that was your, that was it. And you had to pay for that. And warm orange soda. I remember that. Well, I finally got out about the fifth or sixth day and uh, we got on the airplane and we're like, freedom, freedom. And then, of course, the airplane took a, a absolute vertical to avoid the ground fire. But I thought, look at all these Vietnamese women cleaning the inside of the airplane. Wouldn't that be a good time to make a bomb to go off in this airplane? Wouldn't, you know, but I didn't, you know, it's a yeah. self-preservation thing. Right, thing. right. And uh, so I knew that I found the right woman. See, Naj and I, um, when I the times that I had been in the States... For R&R and resupply, you know, because they come back to the States and we load more crap to go back over there. Um, so I, that was your first,
0: your first enlistment. Yeah, I I, was just, I met
1: Nodge and, and, and um, at the USO mm-hmm. in Long Beach at the USO dance. I wasn't old enough to drink. Um, it was crazy. But old enough to go to Vietnam, but old, yeah, not not old, old enough, enough to drink. To drink. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh. I had actually dated her sister, but her sister we just didn't click. Her sister was a model for Johnson Outboard Motors, and she was really cute, had a great figure, and but she didn't really give a shit about anything but herself. I go, nah, this ain't working. So um, Nodge, bless her heart, she goes, "Come here." Okay, first time I ever heard a woman tell me to come here, and uh, invited me to dinner, and uh, it, it was so again the food, the food. She serves me this delicious Russian, her mother had made a standing rib roast. This be- this delicious Russian potato salad and these great little pyrishkis, which are like little dough things that are fried with meat and cabbage and all kinds of goodies. So me being trying to be polite, I took a little bit of this, a little bit of this and a little bit of each. And I'm sitting there, and she looks at me, she goes, are you sick? I No, 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 I'm fine. Don't you like the food? i go, no, it's delicious. What's the problem? Aren't you hungry? I said, Oh yes. So she grabs my plate and just took off. Um, yeah. And and we. But when I when I got out of Vietnam, I landed in San Francisco. I hadn't been in 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 the estates for more than maybe three hours, and all of a sudden I hear my name, Eric Lodge, report to blah, 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 on the microphone. Now there are literally thousands of guys trying to process out. They're in this oh, wow. huge, and they're all trying to process out. We just want to get the hell out. We're, we're in San Francisco, not the good place to be if you're, you know. And and I thought, who the hell is calling my name? And I pick up the phone. And she, Eric, Nodge? wait! I just called. I just got. I just landed. How the hell did you find me? Out of all these, that we didn't have telephones, internet, or anything. We just had a plain old landline. Right. I don't know how she find me found me, but she always found me. I think thank God she found me. <laughs> but and uh, it turns out. Uh, my timing was perfect. The uh, Tonsonut Air Base had gotten mortared that night. Wow. Yeah, I got lucky. I got wow. lucky. And they got mortared bad. So um, I she, she was worried. She goes, I, I knew you you were going to leave out of Tonsenut. Um Somehow I got a message to her. I don't know how, or she, I, I don't even remember, but she says, I, I want to make sure you're. Like, oh, man. So wow. we got married. We went to Vegas. We went to the uh, to Vegas, and they said, uh, you're not 21, Eric. Uh, no, I'm not. I just spent three years, eight months in the military. What, what's the problem? I've already been to Vietnam and back. You're not 21, you need your parents permission. they go. going, hmm. It was like 10 days before I was 21. Hmm. So my mother-in-law, who went with us, bless her heart, she gets my hand, mm-hmm. she grabs Noddy's hand, she puts two hands together Go. goes, you're marriage, you made a sign of the cross. That says you're married. Go, <laughs> bless her heart. You know and that but, was it. And that she's, was it. And she's a first generation Russian. Wow. And and my wife's Russian name is Nadezda mm-hmm. Ilinishna Nezrov. It took me twenty years to learn how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great um, what a great society. Wow. Yeah. It is. <laughs> they they live in a lot of them fled Russia, um, and uh, after when Stalin was doing his purging. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they lit, They lit, They had a really tough life, and I can relate because I had a pretty tough life. But um, and, and and I and I found this out over time after after digging in my mother in law's history and meeting people. Her um, uh, I, this always happens. I'm sorry. Uh, give me a timeout. No problem. No problem. Um, Naja's mother, uh, grandfather, or and grandmother fled Russia because uh, Stalin's secret police arrested the, the grandfather, put him in prison, but they let him out because they let the wrong guy out. He wasn't supposed to be released. He was released. He hid in the barn. And if you can imagine, no matter where you are, all the stuff you have, imagine just putting on two pairs of clothing, taking a picnic basket because you had to look like you were going on a picnic. You couldn't look like you were fleeing the country. Otherwise, the secret police would incarcerate every single fa- family member, including the children, and put them in the gulags, okay? Which was basically a killing field. And 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 if you ever get a chance, read the book uh, Gulag Ar- Archipelago by uh, Alexander Shor- Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn. He, he also wrote another one after that. Uh, and I read the book before I went up to Russia and did some work for the uh, In EOD because mm-hmm. I wanted to get a better knowledge of the Russian and 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 the Russian mind so uh, they they all left they here you are you got two pairs of clothing on you got what jewelry or what money you can hide gold. the gold rubles were worthless mm-hmm. and you And then, uh, and in those days people had to have farms that provided all the food, vegetables, meat, everything. Okay. And you lock the door and you leave and you leave everything behind all of your animals, all of your food, all of your, everything that you've collected, all of your life, everything stays. And they just to
0: escape Russia. They
1: they walked for two days to Iran and my mother-in-law they had women were not worth anything. And uh, in those days and my uh, her father had a bag of stuff because they couldn't care very much. You know, like, oh, this is this is our little sleeping place or whatever on the ground. Mm -hmm. He had to make a choice. Do I because my mother in law couldn't walk anymore? She was too tiresome. She was like eight or whatever. She She couldn't walk anymore. Do I leave the woman? Do I leave the female child, which is worth less in the world or do I leave? I leave this bag of stuff, and he left the stuff, and he put her on his shoulder, and he walked across the border. Oh wow! And if he didn't, Nod wouldn't be here. It's that's that's sad, but that's that's life. It's uh, would not be here. And it's
0: interesting to hear that because with all the bad people on this planet, yeah. you hear stories similar to the one that you just said, and and it. It makes you appreciate it because there are good people and there have been
1: good people. And I can tell you, if it wasn't for knowledge, I wouldn't be alive because uh, there were times when my destructive, self-destructive habits, uh, I'm amazed I would have either been in dead or in jail, one of the two, because... I couldn't talk about anything. I couldn't. T- I couldn't talk about on my twentieth birthday digging in the cavities of dead uh, Marines, looking for IEDs, mm-hmm. or what you call IEDs. We call them then. Um, and they were, they were just grenades or whatever, um, two or three rounds. You know, they're just yeah, they, right, just some sort of explosive. So because they wanted to explode the helicopter. They because Marines always recover their own, mm-hmm. and so they gave us gloves up to our elbows, I mean up to armpits and we just had to feel around as soon as we found something metallic then we we had to let them know
2: and that was in EOD
1: no I was actually uh I was on a gator freighter they, they just grabbed anybody they didn't oh okay they they didn't care back then there were wa- there weren't enough people people were cheap mm-hmm. and and we had so many so many dead people on the Gator freighter and we were just going back to the states to get more crap mm-hmm that all the freezers were full the the designated body freezers were full Mm -hmm. and so they had them in we had to eat a bunch of crap and they put them in the other freezers and the chutes to go down went right through the chow hall so while you're sitting there eating boom there goes the uh the uh stretcher Mm -hmm. that's clamped in on the way to the below deck but you had to everybody every cavity had to be checked every single cavity no matter what and i look over at my at my uh The guy next to me, he goes, Hey, my, today's my birthday, man. He goes, Really? How old are you? Oh, 20. Well, happy fucking birthday, Eric. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's yellow's humor. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fast forward to your, your, your. I, I got out after, after. Right. right away, and oh, and I sold my sea bag for twenty four dollars in San Francisco. That's <laughs> a, and I got rid of all my military crap. Mm-hmm. You sold your
0: sea bag on the sea bag podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: right, twenty four dollars. That's what they were paying. I wow. kept the only thing I kept was uh, was a peacoat because it was colder than hell, and I needed to stay warm. And I didn't have enough money to buy any warm clothes. And I kept the I kept the peacoat. And a lot of guys wore them. you. You could get away with a peacoat as long as it's just a plain old peacoat because right. you were trying to keep warm. But all yeah. that other military crap. It all got sold. So four years
0: in the navy, and you get out after your first after, pitch, after your first time over, and you're just done with it. So I'm done with the service. Of here.
1: Yet I couldn't talk to anybody about it, and mm-hmm. it was really hard. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any training. There wasn't. There were no.
0: And that was just as a as a, a Navy guy, nothing. nothing I had special. no no skills. At no that skills. point, was just boot camp and some sort of There's some
1: general labor. It general, seemed, labor. general labor, seaman. You know how to tie a knot. And that's about it. Right. That, you yeah. know? And
0: so you got out of the Navy, and, and at that point, where did you go?
1: Uh, I actually, I was. I always had. I've always been a guy who seeks out jobs. I've always had a job. I've always had two jobs, mm-hmm. and and my very first job was delivering newspapers. Newspapers. Um, and, and and to all these racks, and especially to the, uh, especially to this one area that was a, a it was a bookie joint. <laughs> I had to deliver the newspapers to the bookie joints because they had the horse the horse races uh, results, and they were all waiting for the horse race results. Yeah, you know, yeah. back then, newspapers were the only thing, right. Confirmation, and then um, and then after that, uh, I worked at a brick factory. I was the only white boy there. They are all Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And I would stack the bricks for the kilns and then un- unstack them and mm-hmm. put them on pallets. And then I got a job working for certified grocers, working in a freezer that was like, whatever, 10 degrees below zero or whatever. Pushing these carts around, throwing cases of of frozen food on, and then shove them in a trailer and marking it. Okay. And they had like a 99% t- turnover uh, because it was horrible. You'd, you... Nod would not would pack me a a a lunch uh of a paper bag you know back then it was only paper there was no plastic right, right. she would fill that sucker full of sandwiches and whatever and, and in 20 minutes i would inhale that and i just pretty much just inhaled it and uh, uh and that was during the first break you're allowed two breaks and then a lunch and then after that it was roach coach um yeah yeah uh, but i made a living i was a teamster my firstborn was uh, got was able to get medical uh, attention and and I made a living,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, and even with a 99% turnover, I still met I still stuck around. Um, then uh, they figured out and all it was was a scam for you to pay the entrance fee to the union, and then they wanted to fire you because they started collecting the money, which was like. Fourteen hundred dollars to get into the union from day one of your pay, so they always took a little bit out, and you never saw the money again. So um, yeah, as the, soon as
2: you got, as soon as you paid into the system, you're you're done. They the figured money. out a
1: way to get rid of me, yeah. so I, they got rid of me, and I went to Luckily, uh, I I was uh, myself and two other guys who who used to work there. We went to a place called Food Giant Markets, and we showed them how to run their freezer system, and we made money. And then one day, these guys in fancy suits showed up with big fancy cars, looked around and the next day we lost our job. We weren't supposed to make money. We're supposed to lose money.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, I got you. Yeah.
1: And, and I'm going to tell you right now, always keep your contacts in the military. If you got a, if you've got any kind of friends or buddies, take the time to keep your contacts because uh, about a week after I lost my job, I had no money. We didn't have a big savings. Uh, a letter came in the mail. It was from a friend of mine who I had served with in Vietnam uh, on the Gator Freighters. His name was Dennis, uh, I trying remember his last name. R- really nice guy. And uh, he asked, he gave his phone number and everything. I said, man, how did he get hold of me? I don't know, the VA, somebody showed up. I, I don't know how, it just showed up on my door and my mailbox so i called him up i said hey eric why don't you come you and come over and 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 bring nonch and uh you know because and he didn't know we were married and he was married and he hadn't had a child yet but we had one so we were, we had dinner we were over there chatting he goes well where are you working eric i said oh, i got fired he goes really you know my my the place i'm working for they're looking for somebody how'd you how'd you like to work for work for us it was owens illinois corning well damn, Owens Ellen Recordings, big company, union, good wages, had all the benefits and everything. And like, just show up uh and we'll we'll make sure you got a job. I said, "Honey, my boss already told me, just show up. So I drove a forklift and you know, <laughs> and it was great. I had a great job. And the great thing about it was that I worked at nights there, and then in the day I had a little little Mr. Fix-It business going, okay? Uh, okay. And whatever I could do to make extra money. So I had I always had two jobs. Mm-hmm. Or if necessary, if somebody didn't show up for the day shift, I was be able to, able to pull a double shift. And I know it was hard on notch, but we had to we had to make a living, okay? And because uh, I've never collected welfare and never collected food stamps, uh, I never collected any of that. Probably should have, but I just it just wasn't in me. Right. I've always was I I guess I was just too damn stubborn. One thing about my grow my growing up, I had to be stubborn to survive. Yeah. and and the stubbornness of not quitting the stubbornness of not giving up and say I quit and and sitting in a corner and feeling sorry for yourself I just it just wasn't me I wasn't that, that wasn't me I went hunting yeah. and and so it takes a time to keep your military contacts because who knows who really knows that worked out beautiful for us then we had a thing called the oil crisis in 1972 I don't know if you remember that-hmm. Gas went from 37 cents a gallon to a buck 37 cents a gallon or a buck 50. I wasn't making $30,000 a year, to be able to afford that kind of crap. All the businesses closed up, so luckily my boss who who he he really liked me. He always gave me a double shift cuz that was like t- double time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I the money was good, not and I were able to finally buy a house about uh, 2 miles from Disneyland at the time, uh, in Anaheim. And uh, he said, Eric, I'm gonna tell you right now, don't you tell anybody, but in a month, I gotta let everybody go except a day shift because there was no business. Good heads up right there, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And so I kept it quiet. And, and in the meantime, I I still affiliated with the reserves, <laughs> the Navy <laughs> reserves, and here's why. Uh, a friend of mine co- called me up and says, hey man, you ought to join the reserves. And I said, look, I don't wanna, you don't understand. The reserves is easy, man. They don't make you cut your hair, they don't make you shave. You can chill out. We pretty much sit around and eat brownies. What kind of brownies? Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was saying, Eric and food? Yeah. Yeah,
1: what kind of brownies? I said, really? He goes, yeah. And and what it was, was also a good place to get leads for jobs. Oh, okay. Okay, so that worked right. out sweet. Yeah. And they they weren't hard asses. They were nothing. We were just reserves. So it was kicked back. Awesome, yeah. man. And yeah. you got paid for it. Cool. So you uh, didn't have to do any marching or any of that nonsense, you just had. So when you got
0: out the first time, you stayed with uh, I reserves. stayed in the
1: reserves only uh, about, I didn't, not the first, the first two years, about the third year, a friend of mine okay. talked to me and to go join the reserves and, and the benefit of it. And I said, well, cool, you know, and guys have come to work with all kinds of, Yeah, my old lady made this pot of she's like, hell yeah, like, <laughs> you know, load her, yeah. And And, uh, hey, uh, are, are, are any jobs going on? Yeah, over here, man, they're hiring, uh, you line up over here and get yourself a job. Okay, cool. So it was a good lead, um, and then in 1973, well, 70, yeah seventy three, I had to go back to the military. There were no, no jobs. There was nothing going on. The only one that was hiring was the military.
2: Okay, so that was more. That was a move made out of necessity. Out of desperation. Desperation. I had a family,
1: and I had to take care of them. I had to make sure they had a roof and and food and the whole bit.
0: Mm-hmm. So first time was four years for three, and then yeah,
1: back, back, in. And back in. How many I kids just, did you have? I, I just have two. Just have two. Just two. I couldn't afford any more. And, uh, <laughs> and and here's what's really funny. Um, and again, uh, I don't, you can call it God. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Everything in your life happens for a reason. You may not know today or 10 years from now why, but one day... It, you will figure it out, and I did. And here's it was so strange. We'd had our second child, and Naj says, I, "I want to try for a third child because you wanted a girl." I said, "Baby, we can't afford another child," and and uh, uh, we really we just it just can't it can't happen. So I got her a little dog, but anyway, little little fluffy dog. <laughs> <You> <laughs> hold her off. Cheaper. Hold her
0: off for a few ne- months. Ne- never
1: asked for keys for the car, you know the- so she was she was okay with that. Well, fast forward. Uh, when she was 30 and out of the blue one day when she was uh, this is when i had been in the service for a while she was 35 no 34 and she says i will never live to see 36. i said what the hell are you talking about baby and she kept complaining about headaches well um finally uh it took a a independent duty corpsman trained independent duty trained corpsman warrant officer uh sitting down with her for two hours figuring out she had a brain tumor but he didn't say that what he said was you need to see a neurologist and and i was in the room and and she goes oh okay i'll make an appointment in about a month he goes you need to see a neurologist now well we had already been through the headaches with all these other commanders doctors and all these other bs people and they said, "Oh, well, it was it was stress due to children, stress due to your husband going in deployment, stressful in the military life, and all that." No, it was a it was a tumor the size of a golf ball in her head. When I talked to Dr. Marty Weiss, and again the military helped out. Dr. Marty Weiss was a naval aviator, uh, flight surgeon, slash medical doctor, uh, and he was very familiar with dive, with the diving community because the flight surgeons and the medical diving officers, they, they all, it's like one, one team, okay? They, a lot of times they'll go to the same school because hyperbaric, hypobaric, it's still the human body, okay? And he, he sat down, bless his heart, uh, he, he said, oh, no problem, I take care of this all the time. He says, I'm writing a book, and in my book I have found that women who get pregnant the hormonal change causes this tumor to grow but we had already had two kids ah okay and i thought god must be looking out for us because if she would had a third child she would not be alive wow the tumor was already the size of a golf ball Mm -hmm. luckily he did remove it but he told me he's talk about a guy with a sense of humor bless his heart he comes out he goes well I've seen parts of your wife that you haven't even seen. I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, motherfucker. <laughs> and this is after five and a half hours of micro brain surgery. Where, oh. if he sneezes, well, there goes the piano lessons for the last ten years. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Right. So uh, he, so by her not having another child, probably saved her life. And he re- he said, but I did. I couldn't get the last bit of the tumor. It was in the bone. He put some radioisotope in, and, and she was okay. But she had the operation at 36. Now, why? I, I don't know. Not just Notch, Notch had... I always listened to Notch. I always listened. I almost went into business with this one fellow. And, and he promised me the world. And he was going to set us up in business. And man, we were going we to do great. And uh, he had a lot of flash, a lot of show, a lot of money. And uh, one of her girlfriends came over we were in uh, I was in Port Wanimi at the time, stationed with the with the CBs uh in MCB ten. Uh, and uh, one of her girlfriends was having lunch with her in Port Wanimi and she she worked in Camarillo. Uh Camarillo they have a mental institution there. Well I was on the phone with this fellow his name was Jim Mize, and I said okay Jim and uh Naj goes, who was that? Oh, she goes, Oh, that was Jim Mize. And her girlfriend stood up and says, Jim Mize, he we just released him from Camarillo. He's been he's been, this, he's been at this mental institution in Camarillo. And Notch told me, Don't go into business with this guy. I got a funny feeling. And after that, if you didn't I always, inter- whenever anybody wanted to do business with me, I always introduced her to Nodge, mm-hmm. at either at dinner or somehow, and she'd give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> and if it was a thumbs down, thank you very much, but you never see my white butt again, yeah, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, let's let's rewind to how you got into diving. Yeah. Uh, diving and... and oh, uh, this is great. And is EOD and kind of where the, the, the career...
1: When I was 14 years old, this Marine Recon fellow by the name of Jack Wolf really... Really good guy. Um, I I went to live with him and his family because my old man was. Get, I guess he was getting tired of feeding me or whatever. But anyway, they lived in Cavela Bay. They lived in this little little house. It only had two rooms, and uh, I slept on a couch and the and 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 it was great. Um, he took me again. He was a marine. I I don't know if they called him recon in those days. This is. World War II, uh, I guess Korea, whatever. Anyway, he had all these, all these scuba tanks and uh, we were in Cavella Bay and he went out, he went diving, he came back with a bunch of lobsters. And I said, gee, that looks interesting. How do you do that? He goes, oh, you just put it in your mouth and breathe underwater like you do on the surface. Okay, so so I did, put the, I put the mouthpiece on, went to the bottom about 40 some feet and I, I just kept on going in. <laughs> kept on swimming in the shore at Bay. It's, what it is, it's it's a bay like this with a channel mm-hmm. and, and it's pretty it's pretty long. And I was hooked. After that, I was hooked. I said, okay. God, I gotta do this for a living. So
2: how did so how did that translate into the military then?
1: Uh, when I was in, under, when I was with uh, the CB battalions. Okay. Okay.
0: When you when you reenlisted, let me just get yeah, this straight when so I re enlisted I, I you joined the Seabees. Okay. okay. Okay.
1: And uh, uh, I had to uh, I went to guam during during operation new life when all the vietnamese were leaving Mm -hmm. and it was really strange you're looking up at these guys and we had to recondition this french uh ship cargo ship that was like from world war one that had fled vietnam but we had to fit it so that these 1200 some vietnamese could go back to vietnam Hmm. yeah yeah this is one of kissinger's little Gems, I think. Okay. Anyway, so we had to build racks for them. So we took plot four by sheets of plywood, ripped them, and and we took two by fours, and we pig welded or we just stick welded hooks on the up there, ram a nail into the two by four, and just you know half. We didn't a shoot. We don't care. Um but they just had to go back. But here we are looking back. Up at him we're sweating our ass off we're getting electrocuted because i'm having to sit on this guy's shoulders because he's got water up to here and i'm trying to weld these tabs on and i'm going turn it turn it down you know turn the juice down uh-huh. and, yeah, turn it, you know because <laughs> i could i could it would just because i'm soaking wet it's, it's hot it's stinky yeah. and they're they're like supervising us i'm like yeah anyway so um so anyway i i built up i uh I, Underwater construction teams were just getting started mm-hmm. in, in the Seabees at the time, and um, at the time there were only a few. Uh, there altogether, there was probably less than twenty okay. members complete. Um, they had two teams: uh, Team One and Team Two. One was on the East Coast, one in the West Coast. Uh, West Coast was Port Wanimi, and the East Coast was um, um, Norfolk. Okay, um, and um, so. Uh, I wanted to try and and get into the teams. Well, they said, you need more schooling. So I went more schooling. I went back for the interview. They said, okay, you need one more deployment. I went on one more deployment.
2: Where Um, was that deployment to?
1: uh, First one was to Guam Mm -hmm. uh, to catch the new life. Second one was to Puerto Rico. Okay. Okay. And the one to Guam uh, was to try and get those 55,000 Vietnamese back safely out of Guam who had Mm -hmm. fled Vietnam to the States. Okay. And, uh, amazing. Uh, they never, uh, the whole, um, three months they were there, it never rained. Hmm. And that was really weird because they had no, they were, we were putting up tents. We were, we were making, um, 55-gallon drums cut in half, one palace, in there with burners. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank God for those extended forklifts, man. Those, <laughs> they extend all the way out, and you're like, the wind. <laughs>
2: the wind then, catches boom, that yeah, just right. These
1: these women would walk down the aisle, walk down the gangway, mm-hmm. and, and you'd want to go help them because they were so heavy. Well, yeah, because their bags are full of gold.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it was, and they told them, N- leave all your weapons in the boat, and, you know, it was. We'd go through there, and we'd find weapons hidden everywhere. It's like one one Vietnamese colonel tried to. He went ballistic because his girlfriend, uh, uh, he thought, who thought it was his girlfriend, stole all his all his greenbacks in his suitcase w- with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was chaos, but um, I think that was called Operation New Life. So anyway, I did all my time, and they said, okay, now you can join the teams. I went to die school in um, San Diego. Mm-hmm. I was one of two CBs. Myself and Bob Beckwith. Well, Bob Beckwith and I had had the same goal in MCB uh, Mobile Construction Battalion, um, 10, four, yeah, no, four, four, that's right. Mobile construction four. And the goal was to get into underwater construction teams. So we were always running, we were always swimming. We, Vegas Island was about six miles away from where our camp was, Mm -hmm. and so We'd go out there and swim the three miles out, sw- swim the three miles back. And uh, one night, Bob swam out to, there was a SEAL camp near us. Mm-hmm. And so Bob swam out in nothing, in the middle of the night with nothing but a pair of swim trunks and, his, and a leather belt. And he met the SEALs as they were jumping in to practice because they were doing an insertion, right? Helicopter uh-huh. lets them out the three mile limit and they sneak in with all their gear and boots and all this other yep. wetsuits and all this other stuff. Bob met them out there. Mm-hmm and says, hi, and he's, this was, Bob was the fellow we used uh, as our heavy equipment. I didn't say heavy equipment operator, I said heavy equipment, Uh okay. Bob moved a boulder that was about as big as this, a granite boulder table, uh, into uh, the 11th floor of a barracks in in Newfoundland, Mm. and they couldn't get it out of Uh the room because, I said, Bob, why did you do that? I thought it looked pretty okay, Bob. But anyway, so how long was the school? This dive school that you it went was to? it was pretty long. Um, okay. um The 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 washout ratio was really scary. Um, our initial day, uh, everybody right. does a pre qual um, prior to uh, starting training. They don't care whatever the hell happened. Pre qual and we don't. They don't care. Everybody did the pre qual swim, physical, all that other bit. We're waiting for a turn in the pre-call. In the pool is a class that's doing the harassment swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it problem solving, okay? Um, they had the old buoyancy compensators that had the CO2 cartridges and the Schrader valves. And um, they're going round and round in about a 20-foot pool. And some guy came to says, I'm drowning. And they said, "Not get, get out of them because if you come up, you're gone. You're just gone. And anyway, he died in the bottom of the pool. It took the, first of all, the, the base, ambulance, fire department didn't know where the hell they were. They didn't they didn't know nothing. There was no life-saving equipment on board. There was nothing. And we're sitting here watching this. I'm like, what the? Do we really want to go through this? Mm-hmm. These these guys are, these, these instructors are incompetent. Yeah. Basically what happened, both of those instructors ended up being our instructors and were going to be retired after us.
0: So um, they kind of had the... The don't give a fuck attitude because yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much yeah, done. and
1: so I mean a lot of guys just didn't just didn't make it. I refused. I I, I, I don't give a shit. You're gonna drown me. I will not quit. And um, I so you just, make it through dive
0: school. I make it through dive school. And, yes. what, and what, what? Where do you go next? And then
1: I went to underwater construction team out of Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, I was really excited about that. Uh, we went to Newfoundland. We did. Lovely cold, cold water up there. Uh, We found a lot of World War II relics. We were rebuilding the piers up there. Uh, The one thing I did that nobody else did was um, I brought my family with me. Uh, Every penny I had saved doing extra jobs I spent to take my family with me because they didn't know me anymore. I was gone all the time. I wasn't supposed to take the family up there, but I said, Nodge, so Nodge sold a ring for some money and i got this old international and i fixed it up and we did it all it was a 68 international pickup truck oh wow and uh we went to newfoundland mm. and uh we had a great time it was busy brandon remembers it um i basically killed all the protein we ate because i didn't have any money uh it was horrible uh the newfoundlanders didn't eat lobsters they didn't eat anything that crawled on the bottom because they said they were bottom scavengers um, they wouldn't eat the flounder. Uh, they wouldn't eat the scallops. They said those are bottom feeders. So I would come home with <laughs> with scallops, huge scallops that had never been picked ever. Nobody knew about oh, them. Yeah. Uh, the plate, the the shells were biggest dinner plates. It was. It took me longer to to shoot the shells and get beautiful scallops. You can ask Brand. He remembers them. Um, we had cod roast. The fish was so big. Um, we had lobsters up the wazoo and the RCMP was watching us across the bay there to see if we were going to be stealing any of, of the uh, wildlife. Game bags. Well, they didn't have game bags. What we had was wetsuits and we had green coveralls over them. Well, the coveralls had some big pockets. So what you do is you take a crab and you put it on the end of a of a, uh, of, of a coat hanger, a live crab, mm-hmm. and you put it in for the lobster hole. And when the lobster comes out to grab the crab, which they love, grab the lobster, you rip the claws off, you put the claws in one pocket, rip the head off, put the tail in the other, and you go to the next hole with your crab. And so when we come to service, all I had was a hammer hanging from this hand and and maybe a crowbar from this hand. And, and John would say, they're watching, because you could see the binoculars on the other end of the bay. And we'd, we'd walk on over to the shower that we built and I'd strip out all, all my gear and then I'd shake the coveralls off, and there were all these lobster tails and claws flying <laughs> everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's funny.
1: Uh, but we had to call them meatballs because the Newfoundlanders would have would have uh, ratted us out to the RCMP. So <laughs> the Newfie kids said, "Boy, you guys eat a lot of meatballs, don't you?" <laughs> yeah, <never should. laughs> I had to bring the trash back to the base. We lived off base because they would go through our garbage. That's how crazy they were. Wow! So how yeah. long did
2: you spend up there, and, and where uh, did you go so, after that?
1: Um, after Newfoundland, uh, I I. After Newfoundland that's when I had to make a decision based on on some serious thinking. Mm-hmm. I proposed this was when the um,
2: um, now, what ho- year is this,
1: this hostage time? crisis? I'm trying I think it was 74 okay. 75. The hostage crisis, they were they were stealing or they were hijacking these airplanes. The mm-hmm. right kids were hijacking airplanes and Greece was at, at the time had the worst security out of any any country in the world. Hijackers could get on like crazy with weapons. The mm-hmm. Greek didn't care. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So our commanding officer, who is a lieutenant commander who had severe cranial rectal inversion as far as world affairs, I proposed to him. I said, sir, we need to blend. We need to, not, we need to not look like we're in the military, and we need to have international non-country of origin passports.
0: So you're going to Greece as a we were going all over CB. To, we, we were
1: we were assigned to underwater construction team mm-hmm. and we were going as four and six man teams to all these locations well like um like we went to georgia before they put the uh um um submarine base there or, or yeah um Charleston, Charleston, mm-hmm. Charleston, before they put the sub base there, that used to be an army base,
3: by the mm-hmm. way.
0: And what was the, what was the and, mission? Um,
1: uh, to scope it out, get the depth of all the water, do all the surveying. Uh, oh, okay. okay. just Under scope it out. And, and if we had spilled beans, all the property values would have gone up and they would have jacked up the prices of everything. It's you, you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Okay. okay. So we had to keep quiet. Okay. We also w- went to, to uh, Puerto Rico to check on a job there that the government had paid civilians to do and, and We were, that's, that was our job. So the teams went everywhere to Luther in the Bahamas to, um, we had to, uh, to, uh, do a, a undersea survey or undersea uh, sewage fallout facility there, um, because that was a listening base for submarines. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and they, it was always small teams. Like I said, there was less than 20 guys in both teams combined. Okay. Um, so I, this Lieutenant commander always uh Geoffrey was his name he, not Jeffrey don't call him Jeffrey <laughs> Geoffrey he um he had in his head that we should always be high and tight and we should use our military ID cards and be proud that we were in the military and display it to the world I, and I'm thinking something's not right man I don't feel good I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so uh, nearby at Fort story was EOD so I went over and met the command master chief and had a chat with him I said I'd like to Join your outfit. I'd like to work with you guys. Um, you guys seem like a you know team players, a, a players. Everything's you know, and uh, I wanted to get my foot in the door because mm-hmm. you had to you had to go through interview. Well, the underwater construction team found out about it and badmouthed me, and I went back to the Master Chief. I said, "Now you think about it for a minute. If I was so damn bad, wouldn't they want to get rid of me?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, "Why are they fighting to keep me?" Yeah. He said, "Yeah, you're right." so when i went into eod i was i was really go i was go 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 what I mean, was that, the
0: what was the training to get to or or kind of an indoctrination
2: course you, to get you into s- eod
1: they you start out as what they call a fourth man support okay mm-hmm. and what you're doing is you're learning all of the equipment the emdl is it's a book about this thick with all kinds of all the tools that they have all the very you have to learn all the tools <laughs> I mean, it's just it goes on and on and on. You have to know all of the systems. You have to know there's there's a lot of stuff to know, and that's before you even get to the school. You got to know all you get, and they want to before they spend the money for the school. They want to find out if you've got if what you've got takes. what it takes. If you're worth it. If you it, whatever. How so, long was that school? Uh, it's almost a year. Oh wow! Okay. And and it was very intense. Mm-hmm. And and I was I was ready for it. I was good to go. Um, so we went to Russia i did a job up in russia and uh i found something i like i told you i'm i'm one of those i'm like a i'm like a dog on on the scent i just keep looking mm-hmm. and my job was to was to steal stuff from russian submarine forces up there okay because that was there where the russians spent their submarine training up there okay and there was a device called a cluster buff i think it was called it was high tech in those days and they wanted the circuit boards were. They found one that was inoperative. They recovered it, and the circuit boards were American. And they want to know how the heck the Russians had gotten the circuit series. This was this was 1978. Okay, old.
0: Is this like crypto, almost a uh, way of decoding?
1: No, it, it it was a it was a no. What it was was a way. What the purpose of the cluster muff was to once the submarine released it. You fooled the Americans into thinking that the submarine was there, but it wasn't.
2: Oh, okay. So it's like an electronic
1: It was very, and it, the antenna was about three feet high. It was the diameter of a, of a, of a pen. Okay. And it had floats that, uh, like tentacles, that, that opened up. So it it, it lay just below the surface. Mm-hmm. And it was all dark colored, so you couldn't see it. And um, not like American buoys that are painted orange, uh, because the Russians... Uh, did not want uh, it recovered mm-hmm. and the only way I talk about luck it was snowing we were in the sea of Minsk and the uh-huh. snow calmed the uh, the sea
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that's when I told the helicopter pilot I said make a right make a right turn around turn around
0: so you're just flying
1: around we're looking yeah we are looking. we know they're there we know mm-hmm. we know they we now, know what, the sub-region sub- was there,
0: there was there Russian airspace out
1: uh, there were two yeah, aware
0: were, that you guys were out there, or was I this I a secretive, know. more of a secretive type? I know we
1: flew over the. Uh, what was the name of that Russian carrier? We we had some crazy pilots. They they drew targets on out of uh, crayon on their plexiglass. Screen. Marine pilots. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "This is not a gunship." He goes, "Yeah, I know. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be fun to land on the deck and." and I said, no, they'll kill you, you dummy. Stop. Don't do that. <laughs> they wanted to land on the deck of a Russian carrier just to say they landed on the deck. I was like, oh Jesus.
0: <laughs> so your 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 mission at this point is to find these devices. Find find anything. find anything. Steal anything
1: from the Russians, okay? Okay. And and when I when I found it, he 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 listened to me, he turned around, I grabbed it, lassoed it, and, and there was an explosive device on the bottom because they would they would explode these things so they'd sink and they don't want the Americans to get a hold of them. And so I'm pulling out the cords on the bottom, and I last I had I lassoed the the tentacles, lassoed around. I said, "Let's go," and uh, we got out of there, and immediately went back to Norfolk from okay. the same minsk. That's how oh, wow. that's how much they needed that device. Wow! And uh, so whatever came of that, do you do you nothing, know anything of that? Nothing. And I'll tell you why. The fellow that was in charge, the chief that was in charge, uh, I stole his thunder. He was pissed. And he never gave me credit. And when I went to see the Commodore, I said, I'm the one that did it. Really? Yeah, I'm the one that found it, and I'm the one that disarmed it, and I'm the one that brought it aboard. Mm -hmm. He goes, really? And the same thing happened with a... uh, uh, We were off the coast of South Carolina uh, in international waters, and the uh, scientists had launched this missile. And it had what a ca- scientists they weren't government scientists okay and they, they launched they were part of the missile systems okay and they um, wanted the camera because the missile the camera was aimed backwards okay and it was in it was in it was almost uh, 200 feet of water mm-hmm. okay which is pretty much you're pushing it okay I mean for just a plain oxygen you're, you're pushing it um, 285 on air, but then you start doing the, the break, break dancing, you know, down. <laughs> so the thermocline was there. So, well, I'd already been trained on the, the use of this underwater uh, device to, to record the pinger. They were on the last day. A team had already gone up and failed, couldn't find the pinger. So myself and two, three other guys went up. And this lieutenant, uh, nice guy, he gives me about four, I'm looking at the clock, 14 minutes on the bottom. Jesus we're, we're beyond our bottom time he gives me the CB salute you know one of these underwater and gives me the phones so I put on the phones and took my reading swam a little bit took another reading swam boom found it. he's, he's busy shaking my hand I'm going time we're out you know we're running out of time and uh last suited and brought it to the surface they had a big party they had a big how window. deep were you when you found it over 200 so you're right on the limit uh, I was on the limit and here's the bad thing about it, it was on a parachute, so the, the, uh, my, my wristwatch hand got caught in the parachute cord, and I'm trying to pull the damn thing out. And the missile, if it, it was designed so if you pulled it out of the water, all of the data would disappear. You had to keep it submerged in, a 50, in water for, uh-huh. to retain the data, Okay. the pictures and all that, that's a safety device. And, and there was no problem. Well, I came to the surface, because there was a good, I'm uh, like, hydroplaning to the surface. And and I was okay, but they had a big shindig. They had a big party and everything. And everybody, all these guys, are taking credit. And I'm like, I'm the one that found it. I'm the one that everybody gave up on, and here I am looking at these assholes taking the glory.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, whatever. But the final straw was when I went to uh, to to Charleston uh, to. Uh, recover, um, the Navy was practicing lay mines and okay. we had to recover the, the mines. Perfect. And, and it was easy. You just listening to vice, you hook up your rope, send the balloon up and you go to the next one.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a wife swapping. Everybody was wife swapping. It's weird. And unless you were part of the swapsies, mm-hmm. you weren't in I'm like, Hmm. Well, I'm not, so fuck you very much. Mm-hmm. That's right. a, and that's what I, that's pretty much it. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. And. That
0: was perfect. And it
1: started at the Commodore. Okay. It started at the Commodore. The, the, everybody was, I mean, give me a break, man. We went, to, I went to England and, uh, this guy invited me. He was, he was stationed there on the, um, uh, I mean, Holy Lock, Scotland. He was stationed there. Um, EOD Tech. And, uh. Took me home, and, and uh, I said, man, you want a home-cooked meal? I said, yeah, I sure like a home-cooked meal. Took me home. We are sitting there having dinner, and uh, the dishes are done, everything. And he says, uh, uh, go screw my wife. She's in bed. She's waiting for you. Wow. I'm like, dude, you, 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 you're not getting it. And uh, so after that, I, I said, screw you guys. I left. And they told me, you're going to have a big red X on your, you will never get promoted. They were right. And this is you leaving EOD? EOD. Yep, they were okay. right. At th- th- this point this sick. is
0: a, what, uh, 76-ish?
1: No, this is like 79. Okay. And, and, uh, and they actually wanted to screw me for another deployment on the America.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, look, uh, I've had 12 and a half years of arduous sea duty, continuous, without any shore duty. I'm due for shore duty. And they said, screw you, you're going on the America. I said, what's my job? We'll figure it out, but you're going on the America. Just, they wanted to punish me. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm not. My time is up. You're... Oh. So it was. So I I, stayed, I got out less than 90 days. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Naj was happy as, as, as a clan because she'd never seen me home for 30... More than 30... You're home for more than 30 days? Oh, my God, you know? <laughs> she, was, right. she was... And uh, uh, I actually got a little construction job going, mm-hmm. but I knew about the 90-day rules. So I went to... Uh, the recruiting office at Norfolk, and I met this commander and this master chief, and I laid it all out for him. I said, I want to re-enlist, but um, after 12 and a half years of sea duty, I think I'm ready for some shore duty. And they said, no, no one's had 12 and a half years. They called the detailer, and the detailer says, what are you bitching about? I got guys been at sea for 14 years, so quit your bitching. Okay, no problem. And then they said, oh, this is Commander such-and-such, and, such, and uh, this is and mash it was on a three-way phone call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did. He didn't know it, the detailer. Uh, we've looked through uh, his record, and we think this young man is eligible for some shore duty. Do you have any shore duty you could give him? Pause, bing, and the pin drop, you know. Right. <laughs> call me tomorrow. So he uh, he called me. I w- now I went back the next day, How- not just, how'd it go? She goes, oh, nothing, baby. I didn't want to worry her. <laughs> and uh
0: so you finally get some shore duty i went the next the
1: next day and he goes you got well i got two choices for you make up your mind you got 60 seconds uh new london connecticut or or pensacola florida well it was january in norfolk it was already cold and i'm thinking oh goody i get to push ice flows away from nuclear submarines in in new london connecticut sign me up coach right and he said florida i had no idea what pensacola was i just said florida so uh, no, I, I said, oh, honey, we're going to Florida. She goes, oh, good, good. I like warm, because she was, we were freezing our baguettes off. Oh, I bet. We drive in the main gate there, in the, uh, in the main road to the Navy base. She looks over at this house. She goes, boy, I'd sure like to live on the water over there. Well, somebody was listening, because uh, I found this fella He was a retired Navy captain. He goes, yeah, I got some rentals took me to Brownsville. I go, we're not living here, sir. This is not up to our standards. He goes, you receive you're Stevie, right? I said, yes, sir. Uh, I got this house on the water. It was the house that Naj looked at and said, I wish I'd have lived there. Now, what are the odds of that? Yeah. Wow. And you come home the hero. <laughs> yeah, <I know laughs> and, and, and yeah, but see, Naj, again, listen to Naj. Listen she's, to the
0: wife always, huh?
1: <laughs> uh, she's, why women, if you find a good woman What's her goal is to keep the family happy, going, successful, t- cohesion. Nodge taught me about family. You got to remember, as I described to you, I didn't know what family was.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? That was, Nodge showed me what a family is, how a family acts, how mm-hmm. a family does. The family eats together, not the kids, the kids go eat over there and they're, they're out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. No. It's a family. She ought she was all. it was always family with knowledge. And so my goal when I when I went to Puerto Rico, I took the family. Yeah, we didn't have any possessions because I sold every damn thing I could to, to get the airfare. Um, same thing when we went to Newfoundland. Um, and but it was a great experience for the kids because the CBs up there supported us. I was in an underwater construction team at the time. And, and uh, they, they supported us really, really good.
2: So how long, how, how long did you spend in Pensacola or have you been I didn't, here ever I since? Didn't.
1: No, I, I actually spent three, uh, well, I spent four years. In, well, I, the family was here for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to um, the secondary school, the salvage, supervisor, uh, heat mixed gas school in mm-hmm. Panama City. Okay, And I graduated there and class leader and the first class where no one had ever been dropped, which, mm-hmm. which was very, you know, I was always the oldest guy there. I don't know why. I just I was always the oldest fart. They always, oh you're yeah, you're the and um but remember I, I told you that God listens sometimes and lets you payback's a bitch. Yeah <laughs> there was a young part of the part of the uh programming in the dive school in Panama City is It trains Navy master divers. Mm -hmm. One of the Navy master divers that showed up was a fellow by the name of Phil Peronia. Phil Peronia had tried to screw me over when I was in the teams and we were at the seal camp out in Nyland, California. Uh, He, he, nobody would follow him or he, he was a shitty leader and and guys would just leave. Mm -hmm. They'd say, fuck you, Phil and leave. He was an E six at the time. So what he did was in his smart ass, he says, Okay, Eric, you got it. I gotta go to uh somewhere and he drove away and left me hanging. I got three cement trucks coming, I got pads to pour for these the guys have all left, they don't wanna work for Phil. And that's just the way the CBs are. If if they don't like you, they don't like you. Mm-hmm. And there ain't a damn thing you can do. If they like you, they'll nail your boots to the rafters or you know, they'll always they'll always mess with you. Yeah. And they'll give you a funny nickname. So yeah, that was that was fun. So Phil Peronia had to go to Master Candidate E bells. He was uh, he was an e- e- E7 at the time. And he in order for him to make E8, he had to pass the master master diver course. Mm-hmm. I was the only CB at that school in Panama City. So who did they ask? Well, you served with him. What did you think about making Phil a master diver? And I thought, God, you know, this is. First of all, a master diver gets $850 a month extra pay. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a lot today. once Once you make Master Diver. Okay. One. Two, your automatic promotion. Okay. Three, you cannot go back to Master Canada School for at least a year to come back and reapply.
2: Okay.
1: So what I did was I said, you know, I, I can't really speak for anybody else, but I can speak for myself. I would not want him to be in charge of, uh, as a master diver of my two sons, but that's just me. Uh-huh. And, and, uh. He was he was not made a master diver, so I figured out it cost him over thirty thousand dollars. Oh wow! In money he never got, <laughs> in promotion and master diver pay. I'm going, yeah, Phil, you son of a bitch, <laughs> you, you you. If you'd have just been nice and not tried to fuck me over, you'd be singing in the money now.
0: Right, but,
1: right. I didn't say that, you know. I just, but God always gives you a way to get back at the people.
0: Right. <clears throat> Let's talk about a, a little bit about. Transitioning, transitioning, keep and okay. You know, typically our 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 message that we're trying to convey is coming from a guy like you, twenty seven years of service, and through the deployments through Vietnam, through all the deployments that you've been on, and twelve years of sea duty. Coming home. Actually, it was
1: more than that. But that was just the first first tour.
0: Right. But but coming home from especially from Vietnam and transitioning to the civilian world. What are what would be some lessons that you could stay away from
1: drugs. Stay away from the stupid stuff. Um, I because I was working so hard. I was doing uh, Benzedrine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, It actually started out. The supervisor at the company we're working at, uh, certified grocers, because we were running 10 some miles a day, we had or we had to fill two 40 foot trailers full of boxes of frozen food. I don't know if you've ever run through through a facility grabbing boxes, cardboard boxes of frozen, frozen food, putting them on a cart and then shoving them out the door. But we had to fill two 40 foot trailers full of these boxes. Mm-hmm. You're hustling, you're flying. That's why I was eating a lot. Um and uh the only way you could do it day after day was to do Benzedrine. He was putting stuff inside the coffee because they always gave you free coffee. We well, always wondering why we got a kick right after having free coffee. Yeah. You know, we always you could feel it. And but the letdown was bad. They had one fellow there that was doing so much up and down that he didn't hardly have any teeth at all. He was living on strawberry crush and snow cones. Oh, okay. Uh and doing mm-hmm. benzodrine. Yep. Okay, well that makes you really do stupid things because we even had an, a, a California hire patrolman give us a lecture on drugs and there was a 10 pack roll of Benzedrine pills fell out of someone's pocket in aluminum foil running across the, the concrete floor and like, God, I hope he doesn't pick that up, you know? Right. Um, and and it was really sad. Um, notch put up with it, um, but I, I had to. And then I was trying to look for something to come down because Benzedrine keeps you up forever. Mm-hmm. And so I was bouncing up and down with drugs. I was a mess. Um, I was doing stupid things. I was, I was buying stuff I didn't need to buy. I was drinking. I was smoking tons of dope. I was, I was doing all the things I shouldn't be doing, but I was still working. Because we know that when you have a drug and an alcohol problem, you, you, you know. And, and uh, one day, I just had enough. I just... I looked around and I saw these people that were been doing it for years. And I thought, this is not me. I'm not, this is a losing deal. I'm not a loser. Fuck this. I am not a loser. I am a winner. And I went to detox four days and three nights of detox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard. It was, it was fricking hard. After that, I never touched a joint. I never did any Benzadrine. I never did any reds. I never did any meth or not meth, but, uh, quaaludes i never did I, I never did anything i didn't even drink for like five six seven years okay wow. i just said that's it and i got healthy i started running uh the bus would let me off in the in, uh, because nudge was living in 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 los angeles with her mom and dad or with her mom and and same same thing with the boys and so on the weekends i'd go visit them and then i'd catch greyhound bus back and i'd run the three and a half miles from the greyhound bus through the barrio because i had to because there was a barrio back to the CB camp, and uh, to the base with with a backpack on, and and I got in condition. That's what okay. I did, and and I was either swimming, running, and and that's why Bob and I used to have eating contests, and and Bob was was a big guy, kind of like you, um, but he had maybe a tablespoon of fat on him. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and back then, you could go through the chow hall, you could get a plate of everything that they had in the chow line, okay? And I'd get a plate of everything and Bob would get a plate of everything and we'd fill our tray up. And you could go through the speed line like that. And then you go through the main line and you get a plate of everything, okay? So here's this table with two trays full of food and two more trays full of food with with Bob and I eating. And we would inhale the food and people would look at us like we were crazy. And, and then we'd switch over and we'd eat the other two trays, and then Bob would say, well, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to think I'm going to have an ice cream cone. But <laughs> and when I was in school in Panama City, I, uh, the Samoan guy, uh, trying to remember his name, he, uh, he said, I heard you eat a lot. You want to get an eating contest? I said, oh, okay. I said, what's the prize? He goes, okay, here's the deal. Um, whoever loses has to pay for the whole class's dinner at the Korean barbecue. Hmm. And I'm thinking, God, I don't have a hundred some dollars to pay this guy.
0: So, <laughs> so,
1: so we got two bowls, and we kept. It's on funny it.
0: because him and I have
2: some yeah. Contest, it's,
1: so it, when he was a young, young a youngster, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think
2: it was my birthday or was it your birthday? Yeah. Uh I don't, I don't remember whose birthday. I'm pretty was sure before. it was mine. That we were in there, and somebody brought a cake from the Chow Hall, Twenty Nine Palms. Yeah, 29 yeah. Stubs, yeah. So you, you, you pulled the the wrapper off this cake from the Chow Hall. And it's, I think, I can't remember how it started, but he, I'm like, I think you can eat more than me. And we've we got a picture of me and him, we're sitting on a cot facing each other. And I've got half of the cake down, and I'm looking at him, and he quit. You you tapped after like two or three pieces, I, maybe? I don't know.
0: I don't know how. It, it was like, a, you know, MREs, they're like the, the pound cake, like yeah. the really filling Bread that you, it sits, Dince. it sits like a fucking brick, and then it
1: blows up in your yeah, stomach yeah. when you a bunch of like, your water. That's <laughs> well, well yeah, because
0: I'm I'm pounding water and eating this cake, yeah. and I'm
2: like, oh no, when I'm getting. Ready to and rise. if you don't,
1: you you you, you yeah. yeah well, you're,
2: you're, we you're not got, we got it out of them because then we went on a foot race after that oh, after okay. the eat Eat and then run
0: as yeah. fast as you can to there and then come back. Oh, you run. guys had fun, didn't you?
2: We've
0: got a picture of it too.
1: Yeah. But the bottom line is, I. I, uh, we went bowl after bowl and, and we always weighed the bowl. It goes, okay, same, same, earnings even well about, I don't know how many bowls later I'm going, boy, this is really good. I remember, look, our, what do we got over there? Some shrimp, you know, and I was like, God, I'm going to get sick. I don't have any money to pay the bill, mm-hmm. but he goes, okay, you win. you win. Eric, you win, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
2: So did you find like, after you, after you dropped the drugs and the alcohol and you started exercising. Did you feel that helped heal your mind as well as your body? And do you feel that you were using, um, you know, the drugs and the alcohol to cope with any type of, um, you know, stress from transitioning, stress from combat? Do you feel that those things you were using to cope?
1: I um, let me put you this. Remember at the beginning of this conversation, I told you this was the first time anybody's ever asked me about this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm seventy three. That's the answer right there. N- people didn't want to hear about it. They don't want. We know we lost. We don't care. We don't. You're going to freak out on us. You don't have any skills we can use. I don't want to hear it. And I didn't want to tell Notch. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to share it with any of the kids. It's none of their business. Mm-hmm. They never asked. Uh, it was more important that they got to be kids. Okay, enjoy childhood. And Notch was busy being. Supermom, and uh, very, very patient wife. She did at one point say, you don't quit. We're done. And, and it woke me up and, and what woke me up was the fact that this was the first person really actually was the second, but this was the most important person that really gave a shit about whether I, I was healthy, whether I had enough to eat, whether I had gave a shit about me mm-hmm. in my life. Because none of my mothers, fathers, I've had two supposed mothers. I've had God, I don't know how many guys she had? Nobody ever gave a shit about me. Is what can we get out of him? How much work can we get out of him? How much money can we get out of him? Uh, you know, where can we dump him? Mm-hmm. This was the first woman that gave a shit about me, and that was very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. And of course, 53 years later, we're, we're still hanging in there. I mean, there's been rough times. I'm not going to deny it. There's been times when. We didn't have any money, and all of a sudden, five bucks showed up and, you know, in a, wow, you just, you know, it was in the pocket, like, you know, yeah. Nadja used to say, baby, we got we got a, we got a bill due. You got, you got to figure out how to make some money, honey, please. Yeah. And, and I would.
2: With the, with kind of the, the message that we're trying to bring across to, you know, the mm-hmm. younger generation that's transitioning out of the military. And, you know, a lot of the lessons that me and Micah have learned have come from listening, to that people that have come before us and transitioned and have been successful and hit these road bumps and struggled and then overcame the struggling and how they did it. And, and you know, you sharing, you know, you the, the day that you just dropped the the bullshit
1: and and being be, able because to Because I looked at, uh, I looked at, remember, I've always been a survivor. Mm-hmm. I've had to be a survivor. I'm the kind of guy that if someone's got a bead on me, mm-hmm. like a sniper, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. It's something about it. I don't know why I can. I can feel. I've always had that sense of survival. Mm -hmm. Uh, Naj and I were walking through L.A. airport. I said, baby, stop. Stop right here. Come with me. And we hit around the corner of a concrete pillar. And all of a sudden, all these police come with guns drawn, walking side by side in a row with guns drawn. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a shootout. I, I don't know what I don't know what what. Something is always that survival technique that I've had to learn in life that American children majority don't have. Mm-hmm. And it saved me more than once. And it saved, it saved notch. Mm-hmm. And you can call it street smart, you can call it survival technique, but my survival, I knew if I continued on this path, I would not survive.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, rec- it's recognizing
1: People who didn't do it, uh, they called him Bebop Boyd. He had very few teeth, lived on strawberry crush and snow cones. And there he was. He was doing so many drugs. He had a job, mm-hmm. but he was always dancing because he was eating So many benzedrines, mm-hmm. Bebop and Boyd. And I said, I don't want that to be me. Yes, there's more to life than this. I know there is. So, and remember, I told you I was a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. That saved me. Because I would, read, I would read anything I could get a hold of, and I said, look at this life. Look at the life these people are living. Look at the things they are doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You can do some of these things. Every time I wanted to achieve something in life, some asshole always said, you can't. Mm-hmm. When I wanted to go to dive school, I had a chief that said, you'll never make it. You will not. He did everything. He even took me to captain's mast hoping I would not go, and it, it would ruin my chances of going on a, on a, a, a NJ, NJP bullshit charge. It, but because he was a chief, they went along with it. And it was strictly a BS charge. I didn't find out until, like, maybe six, seven, eight months later. A, a friend of mine who worked in personnel said, oh, did you know that he tried to get into underwater construction team and failed? He didn't want me to go because he had an ulterior motive.
0: There's a lot of that in the military, and and there's a lot of that. So any, in anywhere else, the selfishness of of people that haven't made it to certain spots, and yes. if you and and it gives us a a bit of a push to continue on yeah. and to continue going and to to continue to succeed in trying new things. And if you can't make it, this try to find another way. If you you know you, you can't get into this school, okay. Try I'm, I'm going to try a different avenue. I'm going to go this yes. way. And it, I think it's what we're trying to explain to the few listeners that we do have is the continual push mm-hmm. and the physical and the mental toughness. The just never kind of that never quit. Mentality, whether it be academics, whether it be physical performance, just mentally,
1: there's always someone to tell you why you can't do things, and and you know, not and I used to joke, and she's, I I would tear down this road and it'd say no trespassing, and she'd say, honey, it says no trespassing. I said, no, baby, it says no trees are passing. They're not passing at all. <laughs> I'm passing, you know, that's the mentality push ahead, push ahead. Don't it. My survival techniques in life kept pushing me forward. And that kept me from being in the gutter, being in the jail, you know, or being dead. It's just, I saw that and I go, this is not, not, and no one, I had no one to help me overcome any of that. Mm -hmm. I had to do it from in here. Okay. And, and if people just, just remember, you if you don't succeed who gives a shit try i had a, i knew a fellow that wouldn't he was afraid to barbecue because he might burn it i said so what cut off the burn and eat the mistakes move on dude
0: he looked, no, that's that's something that that yeah there's there's a little bit of frail uh, mentality that's kind of given to our younger generations like oh it's did the participation award and then the, oh, it's going to, everything's going to always be okay, blah, 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 but
1: it's just called, that, it's called a type A personality. I've always been, and you guys are type A personalities and, and it, I, I see it. And, and I, I think, I think if more people had the type A personality, okay, you can't do it this way because you're missing a leg but do it this way so what you still got the damn thing done you gave it a shot yeah it's
2: putting one foot in front of the other no matter which way you go and that a lot of those personalities are you know very prevalent in the military that's that's what that's what brings them together and everybody comes from this different walk of life and the problem that you know i had when i when i got out of the military is i was lost i was completely lost you know, I did not have my buds around. You know, I got separated from him. I lost contact with them. I had a lot of personal problems. I had a lot of problems with alcohol. I, you know, had this complete loss of mission and and found myself in some of the darkest shit in my yeah. mind. Yeah. And what pulled me out of it was listening and hearing stories like you yeah. and hearing the guys that that that, that pulled themselves out and made themselves better, and that is what inspired me to do the same. And it's and it's and it's Good. push. It's pushing these stories out into you know out into the interweb that somebody can pick up and listen that don't know us from Adam. No, you know that 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 there's nothing out there on us, and we're not some famous you know bullshit. Yeah. We are just regular people. And you're hearing these stories, and that and that uplifts people, and that's what I, lifted I, me up.
1: I. I would hope that that the whole crux of this this whole deal is to help as many people as we can. It, it is. It is a hundred percent. And
0: we had we've got feedback from some of our listeners um, that whether they listen to a show and then all of a sudden they got motivated to go. Uh, all right. I'm I'm an alcoholic, I'm putting that down, or, or i I need to get back in shape. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and I'm gonna go work out. Whether it's th- we help them for ten seconds or ten minutes yeah. or ten years. It's not that we're pros at it, we're just pros at failing. Yeah. We're professional, <laughs> yeah. we're complete yeah. professional yeah. professionals at failing failing almost but then,
1: everything get, but then getting your ass up and trying again exactly and exactly. and and that that was that was my problem that's why it took me almost three consecutive years of fighting i had the the ceo of mcb-10 he had a he had a uh, 57 thunderbird white beautiful i'm walking back from formation and he stops he says get in the car okay he gives me a ride he didn't say a word. He says, I heard you want to go to dive school. Yes, sir. I am not in your way. And That's all he said. He was a full commander. And uh, so I, I knew, again, you got to remember, everybody did not want me to go from, from the, my lowest to the highest. So I used to wait at the entrance of the EXO's office, the orderly would come in with the coffee, but there was no bathroom in there. Some either he had a milk jug or he had to come out. Okay. <laughs> you
0: know all about that on the milk jug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I knew, and I, and I wanted to have my chance to go before the man and, and plead my case. Well, he would not give in. So, my persistence paid off because he took leave, and the next person in line was the uh, engineering officer. Mm-hmm. And the engineering officer, he, he he was this he wasn't the XO that wasn't his deal he he just he was just there to fill the, fill the void while the XO was on executive officer was on vacation. And he just he just rubber stamped my yeah okay fine go. When the XO the executive officer came back from leave, he was madder than a wet hand. He was pissed beyond belief. He called me in his office. I had to pop tall, and he's chewing me on ass from one to the other. I didn't say a word. But I had my orders in yeah. hand. <laughs> <laughs> make it till you make it. And there wasn't a <laughs> damn thing that son of a bitch could do yeah. about it. Well, and and <laughs>
0: you know you, you, the persistence is what we're talking about. And you know a lot. A lot of people ask. I say a lot. Several people have asked me how how do you stay in shape? How do you? And I'm not. I'm no some no no specimen of, of physical fitness. But I tell people all the time. Well. Maintaining is extremely, it is so much easier than starting back from scratch. And the idea behind that physical statement that I just made is also transfers to a mental state of mind. Staying healthy in your head.
1: And- you're feeding your brain oxygen, all right? And, and you're creating positive endorphins in your brain. When you're creating positive endorphins you think positive you think positive thoughts only why because the endorphins are in there now the lazy man's way is to smoke a bunch of dope or take a drug but the best thing for your body now you know i'm not bragging I'm, I'm 73
0: you can brag all you i want. No I,
1: I, that. I i only take one drug one medication and that's finifibrate because all those years of eating that military crap has plugged my arteries, okay? My cholesterol was in the 1,400 range. Now it's way, way, way down in the 200-some where it's supposed to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's from, well, you know, you open those damn cans, and there's this layer of fat that's an inch thick that you use to start a fire with. You scrape it off and put it on your, and life makes a great fire, man. <laughs> then, then you cook the magic meat there on mystery meat on it, yeah. But but... That that's and and I've always been that way. I've always been now. Unfortunately, I've worn like I said. I've worn myself out, but that's that doesn't matter. They're all amazed when I when I went to uh, to see Doctor Smith, my my hip and knee surgeon. He deals with a lot of military, and I look in there and these guys are hugely overweight. I know they're they're not living a happy life, and I'm thinking to myself, you you sacrifice your youth so that you can get a nice retirement. Why do you, and you wanna make it as long and as healthy as possible so you can suck as much money out of Uncle Sam as you can. I mean, why do you think they give you cheap ass cigarettes and cheap ass booze? They want you to smoke and drink yourself to death so they don't have to pay you your retirements for so damn long. Uh, I, I sat with this financial planner one time and he looked at my, I told him the whole deal, he goes, you know, how much money you need to live on and life savings and all that. He goes, well, uh, Eric, I figure you need to live about 24 and a half years for you to break even for the money they didn't pay you and they supposedly put in your retirement plan. I'm like number 28 right now. Well, it's <laughs> I'm living on their money. Well, it's, fu- it's funny because
0: we, we uh, Brian and I, when we were walking over to your house, we, uh, we, Brian and I did some diving this morning and uh, we're catching some good animals in the water and. Watching our fish for the day and having a good time and we hadn't heard back from you. You had called us twice and we hadn't heard back from you. And we we're like, man, uh, that guy, uh, he, I'd be careful, you know, he's no disrespect, but he's he's getting up there in age. I hope he's all right. You know, he's 70, 73 years old. You know, You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Asshole, well, we said it. We said it way meaner than that. So <laughs> well, I'm sure that he's
1: there. <laughs> That so motherfucker. Have, he's probably that dead. Motherfucker's
0: probably dead somewhere. He's probably like, propped
1: somewhere. Yeah. And,
0: and so, so I said, oh, I'm going to beat his ass if he didn't make it to this podcast and went off and croaked on us. And we show up to your house and you're pressure washing the damn house at 73 years old. So there's a lot of respect, and we're going to. Yeah.
1: Well, I I try to keep active, and all of all, here's what's really strange. Everybody I served with, and he, this. This makes me even more glad I did what I did and, and, and took the family with me. And yeah, we didn't have Jack. We didn't have Jack shit. No, the, I told Naj, I said, baby, we're never going to have enough money. Just, just make sure the kids eat the healthiest food possible for their growing bodies to get as strong and healthy as possible. And the rest of the stuff we'll get through the day relief or secondhand stores or whatever, but we'll do the best we can. And, and it paid off. It, that was that was the best thing we, we ever did and and healthy and life healthy life and yeah. she manages she would bake bread she would make two loaves of bread of course, the house smelled great afterwards the boys had come home from school she'd split the loaf in half down the middle put melted butter on it each would take half a loaf of bread they would each eat half a loaf of bread and a, and, a, and they between them they drink a gallon of milk and let out a resounding burp, and thirty minutes later, in the refrigerator, go, Mom, what's for dinner? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like, but.
0: yeah.
2: Well, Mister uh, Mister Eric, we're gonna go ahead and shut her down. All right, we've been we've been going for an hour and forty two minutes. It doesn't seem like it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> this
1: is I can tell you, this is this is uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically. Very, very helpful and therapeutic, and I thank you too for inviting me. Um, I'm glad we had some laughs, but we also had some, you know, truth. And and it's the truth. If you stick with the truth, it, you you're good. And if you if you just keep on keeping on, don't don't quit. Whatever, what if you're trying to quit smoking? If you're trying to quit drinking? If you're trying, just keep on trying. Everybody gets knocked to the curb at some time, no matter what. But it's it's the a personality which anybody can make themselves an a personality if they want that says, yeah, I got my ass kicked but I'm gonna get back up and try it again. fuck it and, yeah. and just just let it go with that. Every, you know everybody I've served with is obese and divorced And I'm like
0: well we have a saying at? we have what's a at? saying that we kind of uh, and we' we'll, we'll, we'll end with this the saying that we started, Brian and I's journey to, to have this podcast show. Uh, we started running, you know, running a lot. I'm and, jealous. And, yeah. <laughs> I can't and, run anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's running in the the hills and mountains of Pennsylvania. And wow. I'm running the
1: Cross beach. country running. And, yeah.
0: And, but the, our, our kind of quote was running away from the truck and, you know, running away from your vehicle at, at that. And, the idea behind it is you park your vehicle and then you run away because you still got to run back. Run back yeah. And it's harder to run distance longer in one direction when you know you got to come back. Mm-hmm. So you run 5 miles one way, guess what? You're running 10 and that and that's that that never quit, that no no bullshit, we're going to we're going to fight through the pain and we're going to keep on going. There's no we we refuse awesome. to fail. Mentally, I don't care if there's one person that listens to this or a hundred people. It doesn't matter what's going on because this is what has healed the two of us, and hopefully, you and and helps us um, keep on keeping on. And we 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 appreciate Thank you, you coming on and just telling us your life story because well, hearing hearing your life story is is something that I've. I've never experienced the the in depth life, you know that you have. I,
1: I've I've shared this with very few people, and uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, one, they never wanted to hear it. Two, it's nobody's business. And three, I I just they they it's none of, I just didn't care about it. But I still think you need to look back on history, mm-hmm. and and reflect and and learn from the mistakes. Awesome. And you it can be from your mistakes or other people's mistakes, but. Just learn.
2: Awesome. And with that, thank you. This is the end of the show. Mr. Eric, thank thank you you. so much for having me. Everybody, this is Brian, Micah, and Eric. And Eric. Out.